Your Money Replay from Money FM 89.3. Money and Me on Your Money, only on Money FM 89.3. Invest for the long term, not the short haul. That was the now defunct Motley Fool's main message. Motley Fool Singapore, that is. Its founder, David Kuo, lives by that message. He has never sold a share that he has bought. Does that still stand, David? That is absolutely right. I, I Except on one occasion, I accidentally sold a share by mistake because instead of clicking the buy button, I clicked the sell button. And so therefore, I ended up selling some of my shares. But I had to go back and buy them back straight away. Yeah, wow. So... Yeah. so- even so the mistakes can happen can make, when you are trading. Yeah. Thank you. That is a great, great way to start off money and me. The Motley Fool may be no more after, what, about seven years? Yes, we were here in 2012 and mm. we shut our services in 2019, the end of 2019. Many of us were upset as subscribers, me included. We well, had me de- also. I, I was <laughs> devastated, yes. Yeah. I remember, yeah, we had you on air then and we're happy to have you on again you. today to talk about a financial website that's risen from the ashes of The Motley Fool. You started that and the original team behind the former Motley Fool Singapore also behind Smart Investor, right? Yeah, that's absolutely right. You see... When I came to Singapore, my mission was really to help investors invest better. And just because The Motley Fool isn't here anymore doesn't mean that my mission has changed. So therefore, uh, we want to continue helping Singapore investors invest better. And back in about sort of 2012, when I first came to Singapore, one thing that happened, well, one thing that I noticed was that many people were uh, jumping in and out of the market. And I I thought, well, that isn't a good way to invest because I've always spent a lot of time looking for good companies that I can invest in and hold them for the long term. One of my longest holding companies has been in my portfolio for nearly 30 years, Michelle, right? 30 years. And it is still there today and it's still doing what it did 30 years ago and it's still rewarding me 30 years later. And it is? Unilever. Unilever. Yeah. So, I mean, this is a company that many of us are familiar with. We buy its products in the supermarket. Mm. We use its products for washing our clothes. So, therefore, why would you want to stop buying this company? And, of course, about 30 years ago, people were saying at the time, oh, you know, we've got this new thing called the Internet coming out. And so let's forget about these old economy companies. Let's not bother about um, the likes of Procter & Gamble and Unilever anymore. We've got to go for this new stuff. And I just went, well... What has changed? I still need to wash my clothes. I still need to eat. So therefore, why would I want to do that? And so uh, during that uh, 30-year period, this share has grown uh, for me and it has also generated dividends for me. And as you know, Michelle, I'm a great dividend investor. Yeah, yeah, you're one of the best. Okay, David, change is inevitable though, yeah? Yeah. I mean, there was once the Motley Fool and now it is no more and now you have the smart investor.com.sg. So what is different about what you're doing now? Well, you see, one one of the things that we noticed over the seven years was that um, the Motley Fool, like many other companies, like to recommend stocks to people. And I'm sure many people come to the Motley Fool and say, hey, you know, what's the latest recommendation that you've got? Now, I equate stock recommendations to somebody saying to you, Michelle, oh, you know, you should buy this particular brand of chicken or you should buy this particular brand of flour and all that. And then the question then arises, how much of this chicken should I buy? How much of this flour should I buy? Mm. And after I buy it, what should I then do with what I've got in order to make a meal? And I think that is one of the issues that we've had. Many people say, hey, David, you know, you recommended this company, you recommended that company, but how much of it 
should I buy for my portfolio? Should I go all into this? Should I sell everything that I've got and then jump into this particular stock that you say is the next best thing since sliced bread? And the answer is no, right? What you should do is to continually build the portfolio and add these shares to your portfolio in a proportion that makes sense to you. And so therefore, um, within my portfolio, Michelle, I probably have about 100 different companies, right? And that's uh, 100 shares that I need to follow over time. But if you just buy 100 different companies and you put 1% into each company, that's not going to be sufficient for you uh, to retire on because you've got to get them in the right proportions. Mm. And so what we do with a smart investor is to say, we're not just going to tell you or show you what shares we are buying. We're also going to show you how we put that money together in our portfolios that makes sense to us. And hopefully it'll make sense to you as well. And that really is the crucial difference between the Motley Fool Singapore and the smart investor. We're, we're going to show you how to buy shares in a smart sort of way that makes sense to you so that you can generate the income or the growth that you require when you retire. Well, living up to its name then, the smart investor, huh? Yeah, so I've gone from being a fool to being <laughs> smart, yes. <laughs> I missed the wit, actually, that came with the Motley no, Fool. No, really, no. <laughs> but it is vitally important. I think, you know, one thing that people need to remember, regardless of what age you are, is that you are going to, at some point in time, need to stop working. Yes. Whether you do it voluntarily or because the company has said to you, we no longer require your services and you can leave, you are going to stop working. Now, what do you do at that point when you stop working, Michelle? You're going to have no income. You're going to have no job to go to. So you have to rely on the income that you have uh, been able to generate from your portfolio. Yeah. And I am in that very, very lucky position whereby mm. um, I have been investing for the last 30 odd years and I could, I could theoretically not work at all, right? But I want to continue to work because I don't think my mission has actually been completed yet. Mm. When my mission is completed, then, of course, you know, I will stop working. Which but brings me to my next question, actually. Yes. I mean, people love The Motley Fool yeah. um, because of the stock picks. I mean, people want to make sense of uh, all that information out there. They're yeah. looking for any guide that can help them. Um, and, you know, you had a stock pick, you had a report card. Yeah. It was a subscription service. And now with The Smart Investor, you have a newsletter. It's free. I checked it out. I've yeah. subscribed. Mm -hmm. um, it's free. So how do you intend to make money on this site? Or do you not need to make money anymore, David Kaur, through your site? Well, no, we, we, we are not a charity at the end of the day. We still have wages to pay. But the difference is that you will now be able to see um, through the writers and the analysts, and of course myself, you will be able to see what shares I actually hold in my portfolio, right? You will be able to see what proportions of um, the different shares that I have recommended over time and how I put them together in some kind of logical way that will be able to deliver me growth and income at the same time. You're going to give real-time updates? Uh, well, it will be... Well, is it going to be real-time? I, I guess it will be almost real-time, mm. yeah, because mm. one thing that we try and tell people people is you mustn't continually keep on monitoring share prices all the time. Don't watch it boil. Well, I, well a stock, uh, well, um, a watch stock never boils, right? Mm. And so therefore, what you need to do is to, well, why are you looking at me like this? A, a, a watch no, stock, I like that analogy. Yeah, if you watch stock, it, it'll never boil. It'll never boil mm. be, be, because you'll be so concerned about so many different things. You, 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 have, you have better things to do with your life than to continually <laughs> sort of keep on watching stock prices. <laughs> and, you know, as in the example that I gave you about Unilever 30 years ago, you buy it, you leave it, and then 30 years later, you can have a look at it and go, wow, 
wow, what happened to this stock? Why has it done so well? And the answer is because you haven't continually watched it all the time. Smartinvestor.com.sg co-founder David Court joining me now. Okay, listen, David, when we last had you on, the markets were volatile. Yep. You advocated a defensive strategy. Yep. Investing in companies that do well in good times and bad, like supermarkets, like what we just talked about, Unilever. Yep. Today, markets are still volatile, but yep. U.S. stocks are trading at all-time highs, record yep. highs. What is your strategy now? Well, I think the stra- strategy hasn't actually changed because um, I'll give you one example. About two years ago, I started a, um, a portfolio called the personal income portfolio and it was made up primarily of property related stocks right so property related stocks here in singapore people think of real estate investment trust or reits yes and about probably 60 percent of the portfolio is made up of reits the other uh, portions of the portfolio are made up of um, uh, property developers hotels um, uh, i've also got a, a property estate agent website that is uh, based in the uk and i've also got a railway company that owns the tracks that um, uh, that trains can run on so i mean this portfolio has delivered a total return of about 15% a year, every year for the last two years, right? So if you had put in 100,000, you would have made uh, 15,000 in the first year, 15,000 in the second, generating a total of of about 30,000 for you from just 100,000. And that is from a very defensive strategy. Right? But the point about defensive is that just because you're defensive doesn't mean that you're not going to be able to grow. Mm. I mean, most of these companies do spit out dividends. And with those dividends, you buy more shares and that allows the portfolio to grow over time. So I would say a 15% return on a defensive portfolio isn't really that bad. I mean, I would take that any day. And so um, what I did uh, when I was at The Motley Fool was to put in 200,000 Singapore dollars and I said to people I'm prepared to commit 200,000 Singapore dollars into this portfolio and you can have a look to see how it's done well um, two years later the 200,000 has turned into 250,000 so you will have made 50,000 but my point is Mm. you don't need 200,000 to start you could have started with 20,000 you could have started with 2,000 right you could have done it with whatever you wanted if you're a lot richer you could have said you could you could have said I'll put 2 million into this in which case your 2 million will have grown by 15% a year every year Mm. and that is the whole point and so what we're going to be doing is um, we're going to be opening up this portfolio again um, in a couple of days time and people can have a look at how this portfolio is constructed what we've actually got in it and why we buy shares in that proportion and and really the commitment really is I'm using my own money and so you can see right if the stock market goes down I will go down right mm. if the stock market goes up I will go up but it is my money so I, I I will feel the pain if the stock market goes down but I will also feel the elation and the joy when the stock market goes up but what is interesting about this portfolio is regardless of what happens to the portfolio value mm-hmm. whether it goes up or goes down the stocks are still continuing to spit out dividends for you and that is the that is the most important part so how do I get access to this portfolio is this going to be a subscription service you got your checkbook 
I have my checkbook. <laughs> take my money, David. Take my money. No. <laughs> Give me 15% back. <laughs> the service will be open in a couple of days' time. So you can have a look and you can say, right, I, I like the sound of this. I want to have a look at this. And there is a money-back guarantee. In other words... Yeah. So if, if 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 you if you take if you if you subscribe to the service and you go, this is not for me. I'll give you your money back, right? Oh, but right. I'm hoping that you won't give your uh, give. I'm hoping I won't have to give uh, the money back to you because what I want you to do is to follow along with me. And every month, um, when the dividends start coming in, I will be reallocating that money to the portfolio. And you will see uh, before I even do it, I will be telling you, I will be taking this money and putting it into this particular stock and then you can ask me why david why why do you want to put it into mm. um, uh, just for argument's sake why do you want to put it into sph reit right mm -hmm. why are you allocating this money to sph reit and i will explain to you why i'm doing it and there will be a stock write-up and you'll be able to uh, have a look at uh, what our analysts say about this particular stock and if you if you agree with me you can go ahead and do it if you say david you know, this is not for me. I don't want to allocate it here. I want to put it in something else. That's perfectly within your rights. You can do whatever you want to. It's your money, remember. This is fabulous and fascinating. You're going to get a lot of mirror trading, though. Are you okay with that? That's fine. In fact, I want I want you to actually buy before I buy. What I don't want to be uh, accused of is David has bought this stock. He's mm. front-run this stock. Mm. And so, therefore, he's got it tucked away in his portfolio before he even tells us what to buy. And then two days later, we all go out and buy the stock and then the stock goes up in value i'm not going to do that i'm going to i'm going to tell you two days before i even buy it wow. so that so that you can get a head start from uh, wow. on me yeah wow really can really you imagine if um uh, usain bolt said to you that um you can run first right yeah and i will run after you yeah and we'll run 100 meters I say, what's gotten into you, you see? <laughs> He'll still beat you, by the way. <laughs> Is that what you're planning to do, David? <laughs> oh, I don't know. He'll still beat me, certainly, yeah. This is revelatory, and thank you for sharing the news with us here on Money FM. I you're mean, welcome. Uh, we're one of the first to hear of it, aren't we? Well, you are one of we them. Are. You are. You're not just one of the first. We you are, are the, the first. first. You are the first to hear about it, yeah. <laughs> this is great, and I'm going to subscribe. Okay, people turn to you because they're fascinated with the, your perspective, how yeah. you read the market. Everybody wants to know um, if there are tells, economic tells, so to right. speak. So I'm going to ask about um, big news recently, mm -hmm. the Singapore Exchange's decision to end quarterly reporting. Yeah. So do you think this is going to allow companies to focus on long-term growth oh. um, instead of short-term numbers, or? Is this going to hurt transparency in retail investors? Well, the first thing that um, this uh, abolition or, or, or this uh, moving aside from quarterly investing is that it means less work for me, Michelle. Right? It means I don't have, means I don't have to every three months try and, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, try and dig out the reports and, and, and write up something about it. But what is really good is that one of the big problems with quarterly reporting is that management feels as though they need to meet those numbers that analysts have set for them. And that gets away from long-term um, planning for many businesses. When you have to continually sort of say, I need to meet those revenue numbers, those profit numbers, those cash flow numbers, um, if anything, you are in danger of trying to manipulate your business in order to meet those numbers. And that is not healthy for a business. You must be able to run that business. I wouldn't mind if a company never reported, you know, for an entire year. Right. But of course, you know, that can't happen because as shareholders, you want to know what is happening within your business. But I think what will happen with good companies, and I'm talking about really good companies, is that they, they may not 
um, deliver those quarterly reports, but I think they will still update shareholders. Mm. Now, in the UK, they abolished uh, quarterly reporting. But many companies in the UK still have these interim management statements, and they do that on a quarterly basis. So before the half-yearly report, they will have either a trading update or an interim management statement, and they will just let shareholders know how they are doing. And I think, you know, that is very healthy for a business. If a business doesn't give you that interim management report or that trading update, then you're going to start questioning what is going on within this business. But ultimately, you're going to find out after six months anyway. So I don't see a big issue there. And I think you are absolutely right when you say that it allows companies to plan for the, for, for the long term rather than to keep on continually meet these, um, um, uh, the, these uh, reports that they have to generate every three, three months. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know when was the last time you were in school, Michelle. Mm. It was, probably wasn't that long ago. La- uh, last week, yeah. <laughs> it was last week. <laughs> Same here, yeah. <laughs> but... It was very annoying when you were at school and the teacher says, we're going to have a class test, right? And then everybody sort of puts aside all their revisions and everything and they have to start uh, cramming for this class test because they don't want to do badly. Now, for the brighter students, they just want to get on with the syllabus and get planning for um, either their GCSEs or their A-levels. They, they, they want to get on with the studying for the long term. Because the ultimate prize is your GCSEs and your A-levels, not these sort of weekly tests that the teacher decides to actually um, inflict on students. But, of course, you know, the, uh, the teacher wants to find out how well the class is doing, and maybe some of the students want to find out how well they are doing. Mm. And, uh, over the short term. But I think for the brighter students, they just want to get on and uh, get the syllabus over and done with so that they can um, focus on the big prize at the end. And I think this quarterly reporting is a bit like that. Because management has to keep on um, generating the numbers that will keep the market satisfied, then I think, you know, that that is probably um, a good thing that the SGX is abolishing the quarterly reporting. Okay. It's a very long answer, I know. No, it's a great answer, Mm. as always. Um, You know, in times of volatility, people look to safe havens. Gold has been in the news, dropped the last couple of days, up significantly over the past seven to eight months. Uh, Investors have been buying it as a hedge, of course. There are also signs that China and Russia are increasing their gold holdings. Mm -hmm. So what do you think of the precious metal, and should it be part of everyone's portfolio? Well, I think gold is great for... um fillings in your teeth. Um, I think it's very good for wearing around your neck and I think it's also not bad when you put it on your finger. But as far as in your portfolio is concerned, I don't think it's such a great thing. I mean, you talk about volatility, Mm. but look at what happened despite the volatility, despite everything that um, uh, President Trump has done last year, the American stock market was up over 20%. I mean, that is extraordinary. If you had done nothing uh, since the beginning of the year, except to put your money into the American uh, stocks, either through the um, uh, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, uh, the, the trackers that track the, uh, the Dow Jones or the trackers that track the SPX, you would have made over 20% a year. And that is by doing nothing. Even in Singapore, if you had done nothing apart from buying the Straits Times Index ETF at the beginning of the year on the 1st of January 2019 and then just left it, at the end of the year, you would have made an extra 8% for doing nothing, right? Of course, you can turn around and say, I could have bought gold, I could have bought this. But ultimately, gold does do nothing for you. Mm. If, 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 I have, if I have a bar of gold and I put it on my desk on the 1st of January 2020, mm. 
And at the end of uh, 2020, on the 31st of December 2020, that lump of gold will still be the lump of gold. It won't have grown in size. It won't have shrunk in size, but it will just still be that lump of gold. It won't do anything for you. What do you do with gold? Well, you can uh, cuddle it if you want. You can stroke (laughs) it. You can lick it. You can do all sorts of things with it, right? But But ultimately, it is still a lump of gold. Now, I would much rather put the money into shares that will churn out dividends for me, that will allow me to use those dividends for whatever I want. I could use those dividends for going out and go on holiday. I mean, I could use those dividends for going out and buying myself a new pair of shoes, but I can't do that with gold. Okay, so disagreeing with Ray Dalio then, who last year said buy gold, well, early you last know, year. Everyone is entitled to their, uh, to their own opinions about, you know, uh, the precious metal. Now, if you want to buy gold, right, this is where this portfolio comes in. Within my portfolios, I allocate roughly about 60% of the portfolio to um income-generating shares or dividend-paying shares, right? 60%. About 30% of that goes into growth shares. And these are shares that can grow faster than the market. Now, 60 plus 30 is 90. That still leaves you 10%. Mm. Now, that 10% of your portfolio, you can put into whatever you want. If you want to put some of that 10% into Bitcoins, be my guest, right? If you know about Bitcoins, then put some of it into Bitcoins. If you want to put some of it into gold, be my guest, right? Mm. You can do that. In my case, I use that 10% to buy what I consider to be value shares, shares that are undervalued by the market that will be quite volatile. So when you have a portfolio that looks like that, 60% income, 30% growth, the other 10% is uh, what we call slightly speculative investments. You then have a balanced portfolio. Never ever turn that portfolio upside down, whereby instead of having a pyramid with a strong base, you end up with a pyramid um, rocking on its its vertex, rocking on its point, because then you will have sleepless nights. And at my age, Michelle, I I, I need a good night's sleep. You need all the sleep you can get. I'm with you, David. Well, exactly, yeah. (laughs) Don't we all? Now, when it comes to the proportions of a portfolio, I think it's great that you bring that point up. For many Singaporeans, it's been the banks that have been a mainstay of uh, one's portfolio. And now with the digital banking race and people hearing more people are jumping in in the fray, investors are wondering, what does this mean for me? Well, I think it means a number of things. I I, I think... um, the Singapore banks, well, Singaporeans are already very well served by the banks. I think most of us have a bank account. And I had one ever since um, I was in short trousers when I was at St. Michael's, yeah? Because I opened up a POSB account. With so, a squirrel. A squirrel saver. Was it a squirrel? Oh, yeah. Everybody I, has I a little squirrel I think mine was pre-squirrel. Saver. Oh, okay. I mean, pre-squirrel. Mine was... All right. Well, hold the thought, David. Before we wrap up the program, I wonder if you could give us more insight. The smartinvestor.com.sg gives us unprecedented access to actual portfolios that you own. What else is are we going to be able to get our hands on? And is it just one portfolio that we'll be able to see? Well, uh, the main portfolio that I have is uh, the income portfolio because I know people like income. Well, I certainly like income and um, uh, that you'll be able to see that. I also have another portfolio, which is um, uh, the Malaysia money machines, right? And this is for people who are interested in Malaysia or people who have money in Malaysia and they want to know what stocks to buy in Malaysia. So again, in Malaysia, I have roughly about 60% income stocks, 30% growth stocks, and then the other uh, well, 
five or ten percent is more speculative investments. So every portfolio looks very, very similar in the sense that it follows this 60-30-10 rule. And uh, people are saying, why are you looking at Malaysia? Well, Part of the reason is because I think that Malaysia is going to benefit from the relocation of manufacturing from China to um, the rest of Southeast Asia. And Malaysia is the market that many of us understand. Now, this is not going to be an instant overnight success, Malaysia. But despite that, uh, when I started the uh, Malaysian money machines about a year ago, it was generating income. Today, it's generating more income than it did uh, at the beginning of the year. And so... uh, There was a very famous ice hockey player called Wayne Gretzky who once said, I want to be where the puck is going to be, not where it is now, right? And so I want to be in Malaysia when Malaysia starts to become a a developed economy rather than a developing economy. And so I'm putting money into Malaysia now. It could take a few years before the thesis starts to play out. But during that time, I still get the benefit of uh, dividends. And those dividends will... um, Uh, keep on uh, providing me with income that I can then use for reallocating within that portfolio. So those are two examples of portfolios that you will be able to see uh, if you sign up for um, the Smart Investor. But other portfolios that I have include uh, Asian Financials portfolio. And this is um, the best of Asian Financials uh, that include um, uh, banks in Singapore, insurance companies in Hong Kong, Um, You also get um, companies that you wouldn't think of being Asian, but have an exposure to Asia. So um, have a look at some of the credit cards that you have in your wallet. And these are companies that are based in America, but have a huge exposure here in, in Asia. So the things like Visa and MasterCard, these are companies that can grow very quickly because they have exposure to uh, Southeast Asian consumers. So that's another example. I've got an Indian bank in there because um, I just think that India is going to do exceedingly well. Mm. I've got Chinese insurance companies in there. So that is an Asian financial portfolio. Then I have an an Asian uh, consumer portfolio, and that is primarily uh, things that uh, people will buy on a regular basis. So um, good examples might be this... um, uh, this coffee shop chain that you have within SPH. <laughs> I mean, that is within the portfolio. Yeah. Our so, very own toast. Uh, yes. So, Bread mm. Talk is actually in that portfolio. Ah. Yeah. And you've also got um, uh, a soya milk maker from uh, Hong Kong called Vitasoy. That's in there as well. So, um, Asia is really where you want to be at the moment. A- a- Asia. <laughs> The world is going Asian, right? I I think for the last 20 or 30 years, if not 50 years, it's all been about the West. But I think now it's going to be about Asia. And I'm glad I came back to Asia seven years ago. And we're glad you're here so that we can buy ahead of you, two days ahead of you. Well, quite right. (laughs) But don't buy too much because otherwise it makes it too expensive for me to go and then buy afterwards. David Kuo joining me. Before I let you go, David, do you have anything China specific? In what way? As in a portfolio dedicated to China fintech, for example? It depends whether or not they generate a dividend, right? If they don't pay me a dividend, I'm not interested. If it's not a money machine, it's not in your portfolio. (laughs) You've got to pay me for owning it, right? And if you don't pay me for owning it, which reminds me, when do I send my invoice to you for this this show? I'll sign you a check right now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for coming by, David. All the best with the smartinvestor.com.sg. Before I let you go, I want you to have the final word to investors out there. What should they not do in 2020? 
panic. Absolutely do not panic. If anything that you learned from 2019 was, number one, ignore all the noise in the market because companies are beyond the noise and companies will do well regardless of what Donald Trump does, right? And regardless of what is going on in uh, the Middle East and regardless of what is going on in Southeast Asia. Companies are smart and if you and if you invest in smart companies with smart management, you won't go too far wrong. He is our favorite public investor in a couple of days you'll be able to see exactly where he's putting his money. David Kuo from the smartinvestor.com.sg, thank you for joining us. No, thank you for inviting me on, Michelle. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.